The Lord placed a message on my heart about two weeks ago, and I worked very diligently trying to remove it. Even last night as I was preparing, it was like nothing would happen. And he kept reminding me that he had already given the message. So I'm not sure why there would be any reluctance on my part to share this. It's not that uh, difficult to share. I do know that after the preparation was done and I was ready that this is a morning of ministry. So I will at the end be asking for ministers to come forward and I would ask you to begin now to pray about that. If you are to be one of those who's to stand here and to receive others, you will know by the time we get to the end whether you're supposed to be up here or not. During the time that uh, God released the revelation that I was to be the next pastor, again, I was standing right here, December the 27th, 2006. I got up from right there, made these few steps, turned around. On that Sunday night that Dale had asked me to supply for him, I turned around and had a vision. And in that vision, I knew that I was supposed to be the next pastor of this church. And it was very specific. It was confirmed in several unusual ways over the next couple of weeks. But during that time, all that was going on, I was spending every Tuesday morning with Brother Dale. He was the pastor here, for those of you who never had a chance to meet him. We studied together each Tuesday morning. It was a very blessed time, and I, and I will be eternally grateful for the time that Dale invested in me. We studied together but we loved each other. He was such a good friend and such a good teacher and pastor to me. Over that time that we were studying together, we were studying the book of Joel. I had never looked at it before, never seriously looked at it before, but we were studying it verse by verse, phrase by phrase, trying to understand what the book of Joel was really all about. So it was a great study, but one of the first things that we noticed in this study, that Joel unlike the other major and minor prophets, was taking on a topic that was different than the rest because most of them, almost all of them, are dealing with idolatry among the Jews, about them worshiping things other than God. And so each one of the major and minor prophets was correcting the Jews to place God in the proper place of worship. Very unusual in the book of Joel because in the book of Joel, God was dealing with their problem with alcohol. And again, it was a little bit of an unusual surprise when we started. I didn't know it. I don't know if Dale knew it or not. He didn't act like he did. The topic of the book of Joel was dealing with something that was causing them great, great difficulty. So if you'd go with me there, we're going to begin this morning in Joel chapter 1. And just I'm going to read a few verses where, we, where you can kind of first recognize what it is that God is dealing with. Joel 1.1. 1, 1. The word of the Lord that came to Joel, the son of Pethuel. Hear this, ye old men, and give ear, all you inhabitants of the land. Hath this been in your days or even the days of your fathers? Has it ever been like this? Has your situation ever been this bad before? Tell you your children of it. And let your children tell their children and their children another generation. That which the palmer worm hath left hath the locust eaten. And that which the locust has left hath the canker worm eaten. And that which the canker worm hath left hath the caterpillar eaten. Awake, ye drunkards, and weep, and howl, all ye drinkers of wine, because of the new wine, for it is cut off from your mouth. 
For a nation has come upon my land, strong and without number, whose teeth are the teeth of a lion, and he hath the cheek teeth of a great lion. So I will tell you this morning, though this is not a message about the use of alcohol in our culture today, that's not my topic. I would tell you that there's great instruction to be found here about that topic. Because what we see is the destruction and the loss attached to this warning, and it's evident within this opening chapter. The consequence and the ability for alcohol to just take and take and take and take. Again, that's very much about what this book is about. But as we talk about very often, it's one thing to define the problem. It's something very different to find God standing front and center in that problem. We can talk about the problem all day. But the great story is what happens when we recognize that God is standing in the middle of it. So I want, that's what I want to talk to you about this morning. I know, beyond a doubt, the most significant thing that we studied in Joel, we find in Joel chapter 2, and particularly in verse 25, he as only he can, in that verse is making a promise of what life will be like if they would simply repent, if they would change their mind and see what he's seeing, look at the problem the way he's looking at it, Receive what he is offering them to change it. If they would simply change their mind and repent, he's telling them what they would see after that. What would happen if they were to simply make that change? He is promising this great exchange. He is promising his abundance and his freedom if they would simply hand over their problem. And I will tell you today, I hope that it resounds within your heart that God is always ready to make that great exchange. He is always ready. You know, Danny shared with me earlier that he was going to make this trip and about the brokenness that was there. And we don't need to know all the degrees of what had happened. But for nine years, as it was recognized, that God is always ready to make that exchange. He will give freedom in the place of your bondage. He will give abundance in exchange for your poverty. He will do it. He makes the promise and he's, he will always be good on his promise. So I find this passage fascinating. So let's go to chapter 2 of the book of Joel. I'm going to begin with verse 23, but the promise... It's made in verse 25. This is a profound chapter. We find here a little bit later in verse 28 that when the promise is made that he would pour his spirit out upon all flesh that we get to read about at Pentecost in Acts chapter 2 when this is actually fulfilled. We get to see in these early, early words of what God says I will do for you if you will simply receive what I'm offering. Verse 23. Be glad then, you children of Zion, and rejoice in the Lord your God, for he has given you the former rain moderately, and he will cause to come down for you the rain, the former rain, and the latter rain in the first month. And the floors shall be full of wheat, and the fat shall overflow with wine and oil. And I will restore to you, listen to this promise, I will restore to you the years that the locusts have eaten. The canker worm, the caterpillar, the palmer worm, 
my great army which I sent among you. And you shall eat in plenty and be satisfied. And praise the name of the Lord your God that has dealt wondrously with you. And my people shall never be ashamed. And you shall know that I am in the midst of Israel, and that I am the Lord your God, and none else, and my people shall never be ashamed. In verse 32, And it shall come to pass that whosoever shall call on the name of the Lord shall be delivered. For in Mount Zion and in Jerusalem shall be deliverance, as the Lord has said, and in the remnants whom the Lord shall call. Tremendous promise made within these verses, especially within verse 25. Did you hear it? I will restore to you the years that the locusts have eaten. He is making a promise to those whose lives are in such a mess and are currently so destructive that he can not only change their present situation, which is often good enough for us. He said, I can not only change your present situation, I can change your future outcome But he's making a promise that says, but he can change your past. He can give you back that which was lost. And I tell you that for us, it's very, very difficult for us to comprehend this promise. It's terribly difficult for us to comprehend the fullness of what he is talking about in this verse. Because our flesh, the mentality that we can come up with is what's done is done. That's the way we typically look at those things that are already past us. What's done is done. No way to change it. Our thought is it can't be changed. It can't be altered. And we must live with the consequences of whatever that it brought for the rest of our lives. We're just left with the residue of whatever happened in our past. God is telling us that in Him... That perspective that we hold is not true. There is no such thing in the mind of God, what's done is done. Again, it comes directly against what our minds think and what our hearts feel. In a recent conversation with someone, I was talking about this. We were really talking about future things. But someone that I was talking to used the illustration of a parade... And I thought that it fit very well. When we're watching a parade, we sit in one place and we watch it go by and we are only able to see for a few feet, a few yards to our left and to our right as the parade passes by. So we sit in one place and we watch. We see the few things that are right in front of us. We wonder how much more there is to come. And we recognize those things that are past us, they've already gone. The person that I was speaking with, however, pointed out that God sees the whole parade. There's never a piece of it that's not in his view. He sees the beginning of it. He sees the end of it. He even sees the preparation that went into it. He will see the cleanup and the moving everything away at the end of it. That there's not a single part of this parade that he can't see or that he can't touch. See, we don't have any problem of seeing God taking his hand and touching the parade and changing what's in front of us so that we can see a very different present. We don't even have any problems of seeing what's coming, that God would change something that is going to happen 
But it's almost impossible for us under our thinking to recognize that something that has already happened, something that has already happened in your life, he can still reach and touch and change if it happened two years ago or ten years ago or twenty years ago. He still has the power to touch your past the way no one else could possibly. Because if I say that he couldn't touch it, then I put a limitation on God that says, okay, well, I guess that's something God can't do. Well, I'm not about to put that limitation on him. If he can see the parade, if it's all in front of him, then everything is still able to be touched and moved. So there's no part of your life, not a single moment of your life, past or present, that he cannot touch. You may see the mistakes, you may see the waste, you may see brokenness, you may see loss, you may feel the fear, you may experience the doubt, you may be powerfully affected by the division that was caused back there. We can see it all, we recognize it all, we still feel the consequences of it in our heart, we still process it in our mind, because we still see it as active, we still see it having an effect in our life. But when we see all those things, the mistakes and the waste and everything that might come out of things that happened in our past, I want you to know that God sees an opportunity. He sees in your story right now an opportunity. Now, I'm not sure what you see yet. I'm not sure that you're sitting there looking and reviewing and recognizing that this moment is an opportunity. But I will tell you, most of us, because it's in the past, have removed it, taken it off the table and said, I will just have to live with it. Well, over the last few years, I have had people come to me because of one situation, one scripture, one lesson, one sermon or something that has gone on. And God has brought back a memory from 20 years ago or 30 years ago or 50 years ago of something that hurt them and very strangely is still having an effect in their life today. Hidden, obscured, put away, but that hurt is still there. But God today still sees them. He still sees mistakes made, things that we recognize back there, relationships broken. He still sees them all. The, that part of your parade is not over for him. But every miracle that God the Father offered through the obedience of his Son was based on this promise, that I can give you back the years that the locusts have devoured. Every miracle that God the Father released by the obedience of his Son requires this promise to be in place. And it took me a while to recognize that this is really what was going on. He could go back and change your story so drastically that your present and your future moves as if the past had never occurred. Now that blows our minds, that he could actually do something in my life that would be so powerful that it would be as if that former stuff had never occurred. The promise here seems a little less obscure, a little less difficult. And strange when we realize that Jesus demonstrated that truth over and over and over in the four Gospels. 
We could say when, when we watch the miracles being performed, you know, really, he only touched their present. And he certainly changed the future by the miracles that were given. But if that were true, the malady that they were facing, the brokenness that they were facing, the trauma that had happened to them physically, the limitation that they were facing, if it were true that he was only affecting their present and he was only affecting their future, if that were true, then the brokenness that, had, that he was healing, that mental and emotional brokenness, even though he fixed their body, if he didn't go back to the moment and create a new story, they would have still been troubled in their heart, broken in their lives, even though their body was now functioning fully and completely. You recognize that? That he could do something for me today. He could heal me. He could change that. But if every day I still lived in the brokenness of what caused it, the healing is not complete. He had to go back and remove everything that had happened from that point forward so that the healing would be complete. Everyone who came to Jesus, I, and I can't think of a single person outside of the rich young ruler who came to Jesus that this is not true. When they came to him, whether it was somebody with leprosy or somebody who was lame or somebody who was blind, someone at, like the woman at the well or the woman that was caught in adultery, there's not a single one of those people who came to Jesus that when they walked away from him, that their life had not been so drastically changed that it was as if that former broken life had never existed. They weren't carrying the residue of that former life. We see it in story after story after story. When Lazarus came out of the tomb, how much death did he carry on him? None. He didn't have the residue of four days worth of death on him because what God did was he completely restored as if that death had never occurred. There's not a single one of these stories that doesn't end exactly the same way. If we're carrying brokenness from a long time ago, God might have dealt with the situation that caused it. But if it's lingering and we haven't given him the opportunity to give you back the years that the locusts have devoured. It's such a strange promise that we don't even really know what to do with it. I don't know what it would be like to go back and get those years back that I feel like were wasted. So why is this so important? That God would make us this promise. And why is it so important that we approach this topic? Well, again, I was reminded this morning that, that almost nine years ago now, when God gave the vision, and it was a very specific one, that we were to be an emergency room. Not a hospital, but an emergency room. And when I received the vision, and it was presented to me as a mantle, something that we would put on. So I went to our board of directors. I shared this with them. I went to our deacons and shared this with them. Got the same response from both of them because I was telling them, if we say yes to this, everything about this church will change. Our priorities will change. Our value structure will change. How we minister will change. Who walks in the doors will change. Because I assured them that part of the picture was that if we say yes, that God was going to send us the most broken. God was going to send us the ones whose hearts were, were the most shattered, lives in the most trouble. And that that was exactly who he was going to send us if we said yes to this mantle that he was offering. And both groups said yes. I presented it to the church, and the church said yes. And I want to tell you, with that yes, the floodgates opened. 
I don't say this for any measure of pride or honor or distinction, but last week I had 27 hours of counseling, and most of those don't go to church here. This message of hope that you have shared has gone many, many directions. Some of the counseling I do, I have to do on the phone. Most of it is face-to-face, here or in Lubbock. And I want to tell you, it's why is it? Why is it so necessary? Well, it doesn't take long to look outside of these walls, to look within these walls and recognize the brokenness, the difficulties and the struggles that are in the hearts of people, and they don't know where to turn. And they come into church and I tell them that God loves, you, that God loves them and that God wants something different for them. But the real key in someone's life being changed is that moment when they're willing to lay down that past and recognize that God has the power not only to change their current story and their future story, but to remove the heaviness and the weight of the former story. Because He can and He will if we'll ask Him. I've shared many times now that we have an unfortunate picture within the Christian world that Jesus was a magician and that he would wiggle his nose or that he would say something and some miracle would happen and someone's life was being changed. It was never that way. We see it in the the best example I can give you. For God so loved the world, he gave his only begotten son that whosoever believe in him would not perish and have everlasting life. That was a universal gift given to all men and women, boys and girls. It was a universal gift given. But we come to John chapter 1 and we read there. But to those who would receive, he gave them the power to become the sons of God. Yes, it was a universal gift. What still had to occur, it had to be received. He's offering a universal gift this morning to give you back the years that the locusts have devoured, but you've got to come and receive the gift. You've got to walk according to the faith that you're demonstrating when you step out in the aisle and say, I want something back there. I want it to be erased, but you can't say, come up here and say that you want it erased and go back and walk in the brokenness of it. Our faith says that which I'm about to ask God to do, because He loves me, He will do When would he ever leave you in your brokenness? When would he ever leave you? We remember then the former story is history. I can go back and share my testimony because that's what it is. It's a statement of history. But I don't have to tell it, reliving the brokenness of it every moment that I tell it because I have been set free from the story. I can tell it now to to encourage someone or as a witness to someone that maybe is going through the same thing. But I don't have to tell it from the dread and the brokenness of that old story because he he has removed that story from me. It's history. So we do not carry away from that moment the brokenness, the shame, or the guilt, or the regret, or the doom that Satan assures us is all that we can expect from those mistakes that we've made. If you're feeling those things... I will assure you that it's not of God. If you're feeling shame today, or guilt today, or regret, or doom today, the author of those things is not God. So why is this so important? Most of us here have mistakes in our past that still haunt us today. Most of us here have perceptions of ourselves 
based on those tragedies, based on that trauma, based on that past, we've drawn conclusions about ourselves that are untrue. Most of us here feel the loss of a poor decision that was made somewhere back there. Most of us here have regrets because of opportunities and relationships missed. And most of us here have some shame because of what we are still determined to hide. It's interesting. Learn this from a book that Joanne Morgan loaned me. That most Christians today still have two categories of sin in their head. The stuff that God covered with his blood and the stuff that I'm still struggling with today. There's no two categories. It's all under the blood. And if we would ever be convinced of that, we would live in a freedom that we don't currently have. Because we see, yes, forgiven. But I also know what I'm struggling with. Randy, you, we know, it's right here. No, it's all under the blood. And until we recognize that, we won't have no power over that which we're struggling with. There are no two categories. We're still struggling with those things. God and God alone can change that past and set us free forever. Starting, not today, starting from our past. He will set you free. But I do know that in an emergency room, you still have to come through the doorway. You still have to ask someone within the emergency room to help you. What will happen is if you come forward this morning and say, I have something in my life, you don't even have to tell us what it is. It's not important. It's not, it's not for me to know. You tell me if you'd like to. What you're saying before God, is, and it's him who's listening, is I want rid of this. I don't want to be broken anymore. I don't want to carry the weight. I don't want to carry the difficulty. I sure don't want the shame and the regret anymore of something that I did back there that I just feel like I'm stuck with. You're not stuck with it. It may sound arrogant, and I hope that it doesn't. But I've become so convinced of this truth and the fact that there's only one category of sin that I refuse to beat myself up for a mistake I made yesterday. I don't want to get it started again. I don't want to live with the shame and the regret and all those things of the mistakes that I made yesterday because I, what I committed is forgiven. And again, it doesn't compel me or allow me to sin. As a matter of fact, it causes me not to because I know the price he paid to provide that covering for my sin. It cost him his son. I would never take permission to do those things wrong. Because I know what it took for the gift that he gave us to be free. So Lord, I pray that you would reestablish our hearts as if that had never occurred. Not distracted, not alarmed, but back in the same place as if that had never occurred. You're moving, you're touching and showing people places in their lives. And I just pray, Lord, that when the ministers come, someone could just step up and, and just tell them, I want to be free. I don't want to feel the shame. I don't want to feel the regret. And that by our prayer, putting this before you, that you would remove that from their past story. That they can walk out of here as if that had never occurred. History, yes. But not our story to, to live and to hurt and to feel each day. I pray, Lord, that you would move on hearts right now. Here we are in your presence with a great opportunity to live as if that former situation had never occurred. You're offering, I pray, Lord, that those who need to would receive. In Jesus' name, amen.